0: Live from Tom's Watch Bar inside New York, New York, it's Cofield and Company.
1: That's my reputation for years and years and years. People turn on the show and they're like, there he is, Mr. Sunshine.
0: The glass is overflowing. I just want to see Ari getting upset and I'm singing instead of actually talking on the air. Oh, he's dancing. He's dancing. Oh, my eyes might not recover. Like, I don't want
1: this t-shirt. And then all of a sudden, like, yeah! <laughs> Tuition, you idiots! That's Colefield and Company for you. No discipline. It's time for Cofield and Company
0: with Steve Cofield on ESPN, Las Vegas. Oh, what a day
1: to be alive. The range of emotions this morning, jubilation at the Cofield household, and then lots of cussing, hissing, potentially could have gotten violent. I'll explain all that in five minutes. We're here at Tom's Urban right on the strip, New York, New York. Wonderful spot to watch hockey, whether the Knights are in town or out of town. They're out of town. They're in Philly. We'll talk to a former Flyer in about 20 minutes and get a preview of the game. The Flyers are not good. Flyers are not good. So this is actually a very interesting setup because recently the Knights have only beaten teams that are not good. So they have to win this one at the start of a five-game road trip. Danny is dangerous, Danny understand he's on the scene here we'll explain that later on so many characters involved in cofield and company led by ari in the finley toyota studios the candy man is here with us as well candy how you doing buddy
0: i was waiting to see how far down the list of interesting characters i ranked i didn't know if i was gonna have to go behind ari which apparently i did it goes minute by minute
1: on the show and i outside the show too i mean if i if i had a ranking of are interesting characters it would change like i said minute by minute hour by hour all right all right let's do it
2: it's trending at three presented by nova home loans call now at 877-700-NOVA
1: so i'll say right out of the gates boy oh boy vegas has changed hasn't it like we always love the nfl going back five and ten years but because of what happened today with all the quarterback movement and uh, quarterback decisions we have a ton of NFL today. Like this week, Candy, you and I both like college basketball, like a lot. Uh, this would be reserved for college basketball. And today I was over doing some of the preview work around the UNLV basketball team. They had media availability. There's some good stories coming out of that. Uh, maybe something we can discuss later on. Uh, there was actually a, a very thinly veiled reference to uh, BYU and the Barriers and Sarah Kamard and all that from 15 years ago at the Mountain West Conference Tournament. But right now, Uh, Today is about the West Coast Tournament. The final is here. Last night was interesting. St. Mary's and Gonzaga, especially St. Mary's, pushed to the brink. Gonzaga had a big lead. Got chopped down pretty intensely. Uh, Some nervous moments. Gonzaga's in. I think St. Mary's is in. These teams actually split this year. St. Mary's just beat Gonzaga last week. And the number at the Orleans and all over town, because the game's at the Orleans, Uh, is last I saw it was 12 and a half. Is that because this is Spokane South and there's going to be a big Zaga crowd? Why do you think it's so big?
0: I don't think there's a lot of belief in St. Mary's, especially after the way they played against Santa Clara last night. I think when you look at everyone below Gonzaga in the West Coast Conference, you still have a situation where the... Kofi, I'm going to ask you to take this back real quick. Uh...
1: Echo chamber, I have a feeling. Some sort of echo chamber is going on here. So, San Fran pushed it to the edge last night. Gonzaga got by him. I don't know if there was a lack of focus because it got out to a big lead. I actually think tonight's game will be competitive, will be close. Same areas is a quality team. And the atmosphere, if you're going to get a chance to watch it on TV, I don't think you can get tickets. You can probably try to get them on the – You know, the secondary market, they're going to be pricey. I'll check what the prices are. The atmosphere there is going to be completely insane. And what it sets up, I think, is a really interesting scenario for the NCAA Tournament Committee about what they're going to do with the three biggest Western basketball conferences. The Mountain West may have the strongest case if Wyoming were to make a run to the final. Mountain West would have the strongest case to actually get four teams in. I think because of the numbers, Santa Clara couldn't be the fourth team in from the West Coast Conference. I believe that St. Mary, San Fran, and Gonzaga are in. And then there's a Pac-12, which is going to start right around the corner uh, from us, where Oregon, a traditional power, expectations are you make the tournament. I think they made it eight of the last nine years, but they fell apart here at the end of the season. And then there's that tricky net ranking, Candy, which there are a couple of teams out there that are in – what you would think would be good position in their conference, but their net number sucks. So we'll see how closely the committee is going to follow the net number. So what I'm setting up here is, is it possible that they actually do the blind resumes and the mountain West could have four teams in West coast only gets three pack 12 only gets three.
0: It's all up to Wyoming. Uh, and it's all up to does Wyoming win the tournament? To be honest, I, I, I don't think Wyoming making the final is going to be enough to overcome the numbers. I, I think as much as as much as much UNLV is a much improved team this time of year, the loss for Wyoming at the end to UNLV being so recent and with as much weight as the committee puts on how you're playing at tournament time, I don't think Wyoming gets over that for an at-large berth. Uh, Wyoming is a team that is a two-person team, but if you look at what UNLV just did to them, Um, they made him a one-person team. And Maldonado was the only one who could really get anything done. And I don't think Graham Ike, a guy who can bully around the Mountain West, is going to be able to bully around many teams in the tournament. So I think for Wyoming, it's all about winning uh, the tournament. I don't think there's an at-large case there. NFL
1: today, explain the range of emotion at Casa de Cofield. There was a a lot of glee early in the morning. A lot of glee. It was kind of mixed. I'll say, first of all... um, I walked downstairs and I have the rare situation of the SO significant other is very much in the sports because she loves the chargers. So she's very much up on the AFC West and the quarterback situation. So when we heard that Rodgers wasn't going to leave green Bay, part of me is like, God, I can't stand Packer fans, but whatever. He's staying. The other part was I don't like Broncos fans either. So they're denied a quarterback. It's going to be another miserable year where they underachieve by their standards. They're not going to have a quarterback. And then a few hours later, they get Russell Wilson. And then at that point we were actually separated because there could have been some anger management moments. Just walking on the house walking around the house with the goose frappa.
0: So do, 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 do we need specifics like like were things thrown? Uh was anything broken no. other than I your spirit? spirit? Um you know I'm I'm actually
1: overselling it. It was more uh sullen and depression than anger.
0: Okay, Okay. I mean, that's that's, uh, that's reasonable because I've been
1: through I've been through this before. Um, I told you when Brady and the Patriots lost the Eagles, I dropped to my knees. was at a downtown location and actually cried a bit. Um, I think Ari was around and man, someday we'll have to pull the audio because just stuff I do is very entertaining. We had to bring it back. As you know, Candy, right? you, You said last week how important I am, how important I think I am. Um, I, I do uh, remember getting very emotional by myself when Brady finally announced he was leaving New England. So these things mean a lot to me. There's something wrong with me. But quarterbacking in, in the uh, National Football League means a lot to me. All right, quick timeout. We'll reset here. Come back to Tom's on a Tuesday. We're getting ready for the Golden Knights on the road against the Flyers.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas field and Company, field and Company.
2: And if you look at the reaction of that, now there's people quote tweeting this. Peter Bukowski, who covers the Green Bay Packers. Mm-hmm. Packers fans love to get mad at Greg Jennings, but he's right about the disconnect between Rodgers wanting 50 million and wanting to keep key guys like Adams. We don't know if he wants $50 million. Right. Peter Bukowski quote tweeted, Greg Jennings burying Aaron Rodgers from a source that was from around the league yesterday anonymously.
1: Uh, The NFL film's music is perfect. The trials and tribulations, crank it up, of the National Football League. It used to be a simple time back in 1983, right?
0: I'll be back with you when this is done running, but this is taking me right back to the 1986 Giants VHS Super Bowl recap video this ran all the way through the Rose Bowl in Pasadena it was fantastic that music is awesome and if you need me for the show just make sure you stop playing the music we'll check in in a couple minutes uh here's what's happened today
1: Aaron Rodgers has announced he is going back to the Packers what McAfee was talking about his buddy there who does a radio show former NFL player was that there was a statement an anonymous note that was sent out about what Rodgers wanted per season. And then everyone ran with that as fact. And McAfee was basically building this whole case that stuff gets thrown out there as an anonymous report. Then it turns into fact. And then fans think that Aaron Rodgers is a selfish jerk for wanting $50 million a year. But if you go back to the beginning of it, do we even know that he wants 50 million a year? Because then he came out today Candy and said, I haven't signed anything yet. So all these reports about money are not true. Uh, Rapsheet followed that up, one of the NFL insiders, and said, it's $153 million guaranteed and $200 million overall. Rodgers is still denying that. I have a feeling that's probably close to true. But you get where I'm going here with NFL reporting right now. It's There's such a hunger, such a thirst for NFL news that if anything comes out, it goes from rumor to fact really quickly.
0: I think you could kind of look at the rap sheet thing, though, and say the call came from inside the house. <laughs> he works for the NFL. Like, if the guy from the NFL is reporting that this is what the contract is, then it feels to me like Aaron Rodgers is just chitting up some Tom Brady retirement stuff from a couple exactly. of months ago, right? Yeah, like, what well, we'll to right. What happened to Brady. Yeah. It was right. It was absolutely right, and Brady just wanted to control the narrative and was mad that he couldn't. Well, same with Aaron Rodgers. And for for McAfee, hey, I mean, for the $30 million a year that a gambling company is paying him to talk on the radio, I guess you can go with whatever narrative you want. So what a freaking day in Denver. They're
1: looking at the quarterback they hoped was going to save the franchise being off the table, and then what? They don't have a quarterback, right? The options they have are not good. And then within hours, they make a blockbuster deal for Russell Wilson. Congrats to the Broncos. Another fan base I cannot stand. But they have something to cool root for now because they were proactive. They went on the attack.
0: And the Broncos obviously had this deal in place contingently with Seattle it's not like it's not like a deal with 10 pieces comes together in the course of three hours they obviously had talked to Seattle and figured out okay if we're not going to get Rogers we've got the Russell Wilson thing in our back pocket and you know what the Broncos stole Russell Wilson from the Seattle Seahawks Stole uh don't tell me about first first round picks yeah go ahead tell them the whole package
1: let's give the package out Seattle gets Drew Locke Noah Fant Shelby Harris Two first-round picks, two second-round picks, a fifth. Denver gets Russell Wilson and a fourth. I always love the fourth and five, uh, fifth swap, if I can say it. The fourth and fifth swap. It's very
0: important at the end of the deal. Well, it's like so, John- you, so you think Seattle got completely hosed? How many Russell Wilsons are there in the NFL? Every team in the league is looking for Russell Wilson. And Seattle gave him away getting what? What, what certainty did Seattle get in this deal? Shelby Harris? Shelby Harris is a really good run-stopping defensive lineman. Run-stopping, which you know Pete Carroll's going to love. Drew Locke is Drew Locke, which should tell you a whole lot more about Seattle and what its plans are for this year, because there's a 0% chance Seattle intends to contend in 2022 with Drew Locke. And Noah Fant is a meh tight end. You get two first-round picks. Great. Seattle is probably going to get a pick in the low 20s from Denver for the next two years, right? Assume that these two picks are in 2022 and 2023 for the Denver Broncos. If those are the picks, Russell Wilson's going to have them in contention both years, and I don't want to hear about twos and fives. You gave away Russell Wilson. You gave him away, and in terms of certainty that you got back, you got nothing. Nothing. You you traded two first-round picks to the New York Jets for Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams, a safety And then you acquired two first-round picks and a bunch of filler for one of the best quarterbacks in the league, Cofield. Last year, he was hurt. We know he was hurt. He was still number 17 by PFF grade on the whole season. The three years before that, fifth, first, sixth. And you look at the time when Aaron Rodgers just signed a contract for four more years in Green Bay to the age of 42. Russell Wilson's still in his early 30s. Stole him. Good job, Denver.
1: One correction, if I'm correct, the Seahawks get the Broncos pick this year, which is the ninth selection in the first round. Okay, so it is the the, the pick in the essentially the 21 draft. So, so they right. do get a, a top-10 pick this year. Only problem which with is that draft. is it's not a great quarterback draft. I mean, it, it could be, but right now by ratings and experts' thoughts, they don't believe
0: there's a quarterback worthy of a top-10 pick. Seth Galena breaks down quarterbacks as well as anybody for pro football focus and he was talking earlier this week about the fact that last year you had a draft where five quarterbacks went in the top 15 it could have been even higher than that and now this year you have a situation where he says every quarterback who is available this year looks to him like qb3 essentially like in any other year any one of the quarterbacks that were trying to hype up as a first round pick would be the third or fourth best quarterback on the board. But you know that some team is going to talk themselves into it. Maybe Seattle's that team. Maybe Seattle has a love for a Malik Willis or a Kenny Pickett and is going to go out there and use the ninth pick. And you know what? Great for them. But it's a huge overdraft if they Four o'clock puck drop.
1: Flyers hosting your Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to be watching the game at Tom's Urban, one of the best sports bars in Las Vegas located right here at New York, New York Hotel and Casino. You can come on down, register with Tom's to win free VGK tickets to an upcoming home game. I think it's the uh, Panthers game that's on the docket on the 17th. Uh, You can try their Red Bull Party Starter, double dose of Urban Margarita, hibiscus bombed with a full can of Red Bull Red Edition. It's a good way to get the party started, and the game starts at 4 o'clock. So come on down. You can watch the game right here at Tom's Urban.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Giroud to the right now. A shot, score from the right side. Couturier, and it's a three-two Flyers lead. They work the perimeter quickly, and Sean Couturier, former first-round pick,
1: makes it another Philadelphia lead and another power-play goal against the Knights. Hanging at Tom's watch bar. It's Cofield and Company. Andy, was that an alternate galaxy? The Flyers beating the Golden Knights.
0: Oh, boy. That better not happen tonight. This is a team is a that team needed a goal with five, five seconds, seconds left, left to beat the Ottawa Senators the other night. Yeah. So, nothing is taken for granted at the I moment. Didn't say it was gu- I, I didn't say it was a guarantee
1: they were going to win tonight. I just said it better not happen tonight. I'm the way sure the Flyers are playing and, 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 and the sense of urgency that is felt by, uh, I think, the team. But certainly with the fans who are freaking out, which is... Which is a whole different story that we'll get into. Chris Terrian played for the Flyers, uh, was an analyst for a long time for the Flyers as well. It gives us a couple minutes here to get ready for the game. Uh, Seven o'clock East, four o'clock our time. How you doing, buddy? Doing good, guys. Happy to be on
2: with. Um, I think I, yeah, I did. I did uh, year one in Vegas as a broadcaster for TV. Actually, I might have been two years there, uh, and I loved it. I loved the setup at the beginning, and uh, you guys have a, a good uh, a good spot for hockey that people love and. Uh, just wanted to say that before we started.
1: Yeah, I will say we're incredibly spoiled, though, and I'm not speaking as a fan, but I think the fans here are incredibly spoiled with the success that VGK had from the get-go. Like people are freaking out right right now. Like, how dare they not make the playoffs? What's going on here?
2: Yeah, yeah, and rightly so, guys. You have a you have a heck of a good hockey team there. You know, a couple injuries, but uh, you know, in terms of who you are, I mean, Vegas is a team that's probably if the five or six teams in the league that you stacked up. They're, they're one of the teams that I think is, has a, a real chance at a Stanley Cup. You know, so I know they got a lot of teams in the West that are tough and stacked up against, but, you know, as you said uh, when you're opening up here about the Flyers, like this is tonight, if you're a team like Vegas, you can't come in even to Philadelphia and, and lose to the Flyers. That's just not, that would be unacceptable for, by their standards at this time of the year. That being said, you know, uh, there's a lot of parity in the league, and, and if you're not ready to play at any given night, you can end up in a real in a real bad spot.
0: Chris I'm a, I'm a Devils fan from from long ago. I remember some of the battles that uh, your franchise and you had in the Lindros and Leclerc years with the uh, with the Devils and it's just a consistent model of success for a number of years in terms of competing for the Flyers. So where is the franchise right now and why is the franchise where, is it is? where it is?
2: Well, I think there's a lot of things. First of all, I think there's been a, you know, in terms of the actual players involved, you know, I think Claude Giroux has been just a great Philadelphia flyer for numerous years, but the difference in the gap in ages between him and the next guys that came up after him, I think, uh, you know, get, got lost. So I think there's just, there was no symmetry between the groups that came up. They had an aging group of guys that were, you know, involved, Claude Giroux and Wayne Simmons and Jake Voracek, and those guys, may you know, have moved on or they got traded, but... Uh, and then from the outside, guys, like the, the business side, uh, you know, this is not the, the, you know, when Ed Snyder built this team, he had a true vision for the city, and the city adopted that vision, very much so of what what Flyer hockey was, uh, a blue-collar, uh, hard, tough-nosed uh, hockey team that gave, him, gave himself a chance to win every night, maybe not by, you know, raw skill but by, you know, desire and and dedication to the sport. And and so that reverberated through Philadelphia. And I think what's happened now is, you know, there's a game last week coupled with a bad hockey team. um, And then you throw in, you know, you throw in a mascot that had never been part of it before. And, uh, uh, you know, changing the history of of the team, trying to put your own stamp on it as corporate America does, which they should not ever be involved to me in, in a sports team, at least buying a sports team. Um, so I think when you couple that, uh, you, you know, you end up with about six thousand fans at a game some nights in a building that was sold out in two thousand uh, uh, six seven in the worst year that they'd had. Uh, they were still sold out every single night. So uh, whether it's the pandemic, guys, financials for a lot of people, um, or hockey in general, uh, you know, it, it's it's certainly taken a a hard hard. Um, um, I guess call it a slap if you want. Philadelphia hockey has for both the way the teams performed and for the way the business side has executed the image of this, you know, great once great franchise that was started by, uh, you know, founder Ed Snyder. Very much like an Al Davis type of owner, you know, when you go out to, you know, now Vegas Raiders, I mean, there, there's a few guys in the history of sport uh, that had the kind of uh, impact that um, Ed Snyder had on Philadelphia, much the same way that Al Davis did on Oakland and, and the Oakland uh, the Raiders teams that have followed him. So, uh, you know, I think when you have that, you, you have a lot of ticked-off flyers fans in many ways uh that don't like the breach of, of history and um and i think they're trying to find their way forward but it's been a really really rough couple of years for this team
0: and now we approach the trade deadline and it seems like the flyers are right in the center of everyone's focus because of claude Giroux, maybe uh rasmus Ristolainen as well uh what do you think is the right thing to do by claude Giroux? For the Flyers, should they send him out and give him a chance to go to a contender and win a cup? Well, if
2: if he wants, I mean, if he if he's going, if, if yeah, absolutely, if that's what he wants, but I mean, you can't go to the team and say I want to go to this team, and that's it. Like you have to have an open mind. I mean, if you want to be a champion, it's not happening here. It's not going to happen here in the next five years. It's just not. Um, so he needs. I mean, if if you know, for me, I played the cup. I played the game to try to win the cup. You know, I was my. Every year I went out, I you know I was hoping I'd be on a team. We came close. We ran into a goalie up there at the Turnpike uh, named Brodeur, who was you know pretty pretty tough nut to crack for a Philadelphia Fire fan for years and a player. But you know again that that's the way it goes. But you know I came in to to try to win the Stanley Cup, and I and I would hope uh, you know looking at Claude's career uh, that you know he has the same feelings about his career as well that he hasn't won and that. To win that Stanley Cup, you're going to have to leave Philadelphia. But again, I don't, I don't know that situation, guys. I've heard lots of rumors. I've heard three or four different teams involved, and I heard one team. So no one's really sure what now is going on, except probably Chuck Flet- Chuck Fletcher. Here, he's kept his cards pretty close to the vest. I would say in terms of what you know, his what he's going to do with Claude Giroux. But you know, at this point, I would say yes, he's going to be moved. But there's also a chance he may still be here. If it doesn't work out in that capacity, and that would probably be a real shame for the organization and for the player. Rasmus Ristolainen, he's going to sign somewhere next year for probably six years. Um, someone's going to be, I guess, okay, happy to have him. Um, but I don't know if Philadelphia is a team that should be paying him, you know, $6 million a year for, for six years.
0: No, I... I... I agree with you in that spot uh, for sure especially where the state of the franchise is today being joined here yeah. by chris terrien uh former flyers defenseman flyers tv uh as well here on cofield and company uh you know chris I, I was reading up on your personal story a little bit before you came on and i won't try to explain it for you but i, I think it's kind of uh, inspiring for for a lot of people out there who have dealt with some uh you know some personal demons tell us more about not only what you've been through, but what you've done to help others in that light as well.
2: Yeah. You know what guys, I, I as somebody that, uh, you know, I played a long time here in Philadelphia and had a family here in Philadelphia. And I developed through the end of my career, you know, uh, and I, I was an alcoholic, you know, and late in my career and it really reverberated I think my last season. And I just, you know, I said, I had, was a dad of three little girls at the time and we had another son on the way. And I just said, this is not how I want to live my life. And, uh, you know, even through, uh, you know, broadcasting over the years, I'd always quietly help people that were struggling with, with drug addiction, alcoholism, now mental health has become so prevalent. So here in Philadelphia, when, uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm no longer, I do Snow the Goalie podcast, which keeps me busy, uh, you know, with the Flyers and be able to share my, my weekly opinions. But uh, my true passion is, is indeed getting people uh, in, into treatment, getting them the help they need. So I think can get on and live a, a normal, productive life like I have. And, uh, and it can happen if you can achieve that. And so I say to anybody listening, even out in Vegas, which is, of course, you know, one of the great party capitals in all the world, and I've never been cheated any time I've gone there, guys. I'll say that with a little smile on my face, but uh, <laughs> my, my my goal is uh, to uh, is, is to help people because, uh, you know, I went through a lot uh, in, in myself getting clean from, from alcohol, and, uh, and I want everybody else that has enough courage to admit that I need help. Um, to be able to come and say that and and, and allow the same uh, thing, you know, miracle to happen to them that it did to me.
0: And it's obviously something that's been prominent in the discussion in Las Vegas over the past few years, uh, with Darren Waller and Max Crosby from yeah. the, uh, from the Las Vegas Raiders.
2: Yeah. And, uh, you know, very familiar with Darren Waller's story, same with Max Crosby. Those are young guys, you know, to have alcohol dependency issues. And, and, you know, I commend them. I, it's a tough city to play in, I would imagine. And, uh, those are guys that, uh, you know what, I would love to have on my podcast, guys, one of these days because I'm really starting to jump in now to an addiction and mental health podcast as well, and I know their stories well. Uh, I'm, I'm really, really proud to see young guys like that making that commitment. Uh, I'm 50 now, you know, I'm not a <laughs> chicken anymore, but, uh, you know, I see young guys in their 20s that are making those conscious decisions to make a change and then to share their story. It takes a lot of courage it's smacking the, the stigma off what this disease is. And to me, that's the most important part. To say, hey, listen, I'm Chris Terrian. I, wasn't, I'm an, well, I still am an alcoholic, but I'm recovered. One day at a time, and that's how I do it. And that's a step that you have to make. If, if you're, you find yourself in that bind, you can get out of it if you want. You can change your life for the better. And that's what I try to get my message across to anybody that wants, to, wants that help in life.
0: Chris... Uh... You mentioned earlier, and and I say this uh, with a little bit of a, a joke to it, because I want to ask you a question more about, uh, about Vegas in particular, but you said you never got cheated uh, when you came to Vegas, and we talked a lot in year one in Vegas about the idea of Vegas flu and guys going out and uh, enjoying the nightlife uh, around Vegas. Yeah. Do you think that is a real thing? Because we always kind of were like, I don't know. Is this getting overblown? But do you think that idea is real? So, if I were a player, like, in the late
2: 90s, so I, I've been to Vegas. I mean, I, I drank so much in Las Vegas. I was with Keith Jones, National Broad. We were teammates, Craig Berube. I couldn't get my shoes on on the to go home on the plane. So, like, when I say Vegas is just like an absolute party animal city, it is. Now, in the late 90s, listen, guys, there's a changing of the guard a little bit. Guys now are not guys in the late 80s or the 90s. It's, they did just start, thank God. So And now with, with, with cell phones and, and social media, I think guys have to be careful. But would the Vegas flu have been a real thing? Absolutely. The Philly flu is a real thing for many different reasons. But, yes, you can get yourself into a lot of trouble in a city uh, like Las Vegas if you're not prepared to handle it. And uh, there are some guys that probably aren't. But uh, nonetheless, guys, I think that Las Vegas is an amazing city, deserves sports teams and success. Uh, and after what their first year in the league, I'll be honest with you guys, I don't think I rooted for a hockey team or a team in general more than I did the Vegas Knights in year one. And I keep thinking I can go back as far as remembering Alex Tuck taking that shot against Holpe in game two. That would have put you guys up 2 nothing, and it ended up getting a toe save or he missed it, I can't remember at the time. But Vegas is a great sports town, and I think you guys have are on to something really great, especially the passion that those fans have for the hockey team out there. It's great stuff.
1: Chris, we appreciate it. A hey, uh, one last thing, I, I think you want to mention today is National Women's Day, and I saw on your uh, you sent out the tweet. Yeah. You're talking about your three daughters.
2: Yeah, yeah, my three daughters, all basketball players, Division One uh, athletes. You know, those are as I say to people too. You know, when you have your kids and, and you're able to get clean and sober, the rewards that come with that decision. Um, pays off to your to your family to your kids especially and uh you know my daughter my oldest now is 23 she's uh currently dates an indianapolis colts player uh last year he was uh you know on the roster coming out of penn state and and they just love sports i love being around it and uh i'm just very very proud of my girls in, in every way shape and form uh, and uh happy national women's Day to all you amazing ladies out there
1: chris you're awesome we appreciate the time thank you so much thanks guys have a great night there is is, Chris Terrian calling in from uh, Philly as the Flyers get ready to host your Vegas Golden Knights game. Goes down here in about 22 minutes. We're at Tom's Urban, going to be watching the game, getting ready for all the college basketball around town as well. And all the massive NFL stories. Again, if you didn't hear from this morning, Aaron Rodgers says he is going back to the Packers. We think we know what the deal is for. It is potentially record-breaking, and the Broncos responded quickly to not getting Rodgers by taking, as Candy says it, stealing Russell Wilson from the Seahawks.
0: Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. Back out to Bolton now for Nemhard. Dribbles to the left elbow. Now uh, goes over the top four. Holmgren spins and scores.
1: Bouye was trying to wrap him up and foul him. Chet slipped away. Threw down the two-handed dunk for the Bulldogs' biggest lead of the night.
0: You're listening to Cofield & Company live at Tom's Watch Bar.
1: Getting ready for the Knights and Flyers. Let's talk a little Pac 12 basketball tournament starting up
0: at T Mobile. Candy, fire away. Let's bring in Jordan yeah. Kent. Now, let's talk to uh, Jordan Kent as we get ready for the Pac 12 tournament here in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, Jordan, welcome, man. How are you doing?
3: You know, I'm doing well. I'm uh, enjoying the sunshine here down in Vegas, although it's a little bit colder than I remember it being this time of year, but. We're good, getting ready to watch all uh, eight teams that are playing tomorrow practice here at T-Mobile. So it's a great time to be a college
0: basketball fan. Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't draw on a little bit of your past playing experience with all of the news here today. Uh, What did you think (laughs) of uh, hearing about the Russell Wilson trade?
2: You know, I was surprised
3: because you felt like that relationship between Seattle and Russell Wilson was one of the truly special ones where a player just seemed bigger than the franchise almost, right? You look at the rise of Seattle over the last decade and synonymous with what Russell Wilson has done. So You felt like this is a guy, much like John Elway with the Broncos, right, that is just going to ride it out the entire time through thicker fed. But I think after the comments the last couple of years and Seattle taking a look at their situation realistically in a loaded NFC West, they had to make a move to kind of start making their plans for the future. And for Russell Wilson, he obviously wants to win. So I was shocked. Now the question is, will he still have a street named after him? Did he put in enough time in Seattle <laughs> to have a street named after him sometime? I don't know. I thought the rule was like 11 years or 12 years or something. But we'll see. Um, but it, sure, it certainly shakes things up, right? And We love excitement. And for all of us in the media world, anytime you get a move like this, it is just gold because now we have six weeks of content, it feels like.
0: Uh, we absolutely do, and I might have jumped the gun a little bit, not telling people uh, you were on the Seahawks roster for a couple of years, former draft pick uh, <laughs> from okay Seattle. You you. So I yeah, just said time. playing <laughs> experience, like, hey, Jordan, by the way. Oh, uh, no, so let's uh, let's get to what you're uh, let's get to what you're here for this week, doing play by play with the Pac-12. We all know what uh, what it looks like at the very top with Arizona. They have been one of the cream of the crop programs all season long what do you think of the prospects for usc for ucla for oregon to be able to make a run at this tournament championship as well
3: well i think you said it right to begin with this is really arizona tournament to lose their best basketball is head and shoulders above everyone else in this conference for the most part sure they've dropped games ucla and colorado but they're the most complete team here at this tournament I think USC and UCLA have the next best chance, of course, and I think if you look at UCLA, to give the edge to them. They're just playing better offensively than USC is right now. I think the consistency you've seen from Jaime Jaquez, as well as Johnny Juzang getting healthy again, i put the Bruins right there at number two. Um, USC, obviously, they've been solid. Drew Peterson's really become more of a playmaker for SC, and I think that's been an interesting development for the Trojans. I think there's a lot of talk about Mobley and him really steering the ship for SC and while he does a lot really well for the Trojans, I think Peterson, when he's playing his best, that's when USC is a very dangerous team because he becomes a very tall playmaker that a lot of teams can't match up against one-on-one. Outside of those top three teams, the two teams that I'm really excited to see if they can make a run and make an upset and have one of those exciting chances to possibly punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament, I'm looking at Colorado and Arizona State. And Colorado don't forget, probably has the most impressive win of the season, beating Arizona by double digits in Boulder. They've been playing very consistent. They've got some senior leadership on their team. But really, Arizona State, I think, is the most exciting underdog team here in Vegas right now. Looking at what they've done over the last eight games, they're allowing 13 points fewer per game. They've got five players that average over double figures, so they can hurt you in multiple ways. And this is a team that when their offense is clicking... They've got one of the best defenses in the conference, and it's why they've won seven of their last eight and been one of the hottest teams coming into this tournament.
1: With Hurley's team, how do you explain the start of the season at seven and fifteen? A lot of reasons go into it. Let's talk about this
3: transfer portal to begin with. This is now the biggest challenge every coach is going to have to deal with year after year. You're going to have. So many moving pieces on your roster for two reasons. Number one, guys are going to leave because they want to find greener pastures somewhere else. But number two, there's going to be some tantalizing talent out there each year that you want to try and bring into your team and incorporate because you see the production of these players. But once you get all these pieces together, how do they fit in your program? Who is going to understand their role? How long is that going to take to click? And in some places and in some situations, it clicks sooner and others, it takes a while. And that's what we saw with Arizona State. And Don't forget, every team this year dealt with a huge interruption in play, it felt like, with COVID. Arizona State played one game in 24 days. And then, on the back end of that, I think the thing that impacted so many of these teams and why I'm excited to see them finally play in a tournament with some time off, you don't have any time to practice and work on your stuff when you're squeezing in three games a week with travel. So you're really just playing game after game after game. It's not a lot of time to work on your stuff, So. The turnaround for Arizona State came when they finally figured out their rhythm on offense and stopped forcing so many difficult one-on-one shots. They moved the ball a lot better. They were getting Jackson into places where he could really be effective. And once they did that, that just continued to fuel the defense because it's a lot easier to stop teams than taking the ball out of the net versus live ball turnovers or missed shots.
1: Paxwell Tournament starting up. Tomorrow, we're uh, right around the corner from T-Mobile at Tom's Urban getting ready to watch some hockey. Oregon and Oregon State going to kick things off in a, a 2.30 start tomorrow. Jordan Kent is with us. One last thing, and i it's going to sound like I'm going in hard on Hurley and concentrating on Arizona State, but I, I got to mention this. I do I do think that I, I hope that this has been a learning experience for Hurley in terms of managing players. I understand he has a style, and you don't have to kiss mm-hmm rear ends of players but I just watched Jalen House up close for the second time I'm around the UNLV program all the time so I watched them down to New Mexico and to lose Remy Martin and Jalen House and that 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 sort of stuff like I understand the transfer pool bringing guys in is tough but that sort of stuff is devastating for a program I, and listen I'm not one to sit here and say lighten up Bobby but maybe maybe he does a little bit to make sure that guys aren't both the program
3: well, I mean, every coach is going to do it their own way, right? The way that they're comfortable with and the way that has allowed them to win. It's funny. You mentioned House. I called two of their New Mexico games this year. And speaking with Eddie House, we did one game with Eddie House. And oh, yeah. at Arizona State, what you saw typically was, hey, here's what I'm looking for for my guards and I want them to play this way. And that was a good fit for some players. And if you came in and didn't necessarily have the skill set to fit that particular way, or maybe you weren't given as much latitude or freedom as you would like, it was going to be tough for you. And I think that's why House decided to transfer. And you don't blame him for that, right? A player's got to go to where he feels like he had the best chance to be successful. Conversely, you've seen situations, too, where when you get a chance to go to a system that a coach sticks to, let's look at Washington this year, and what Hopkins has done as far as letting guys play zone defense, that zone has really become a staple in this conference, and really expecting his guards to be able to be one-on-one shot-makers. Well, the conference's leading scorer Terrell Brown comes from Arizona, where they basically kind of put him in a box and forced him to stay in a corner. He comes to Washington and flourishes, and now leads the conference in steals in his own defense, of all things, and really just flourished as a mid-range jump shot maker, which has analytics cringing in their basements, right? (laughs) And he's getting out all analytics live in their basement, of course. But i just goes to show you, it takes the right match between a particular coach in the system and a player. And you're going to have coaches that their coaching style is, I need to have my offense play to the strengths of my individual players versus I have a proven system, and I need to find players that fit that system. And we could go through the Rolodex of college coaches that have been successful in both things. And it's really now up to a player when they choose to go to a school to determine whether or not this is a system, or if I'm a player that fits the system that's going to be successful for me.
1: You can get your tickets for the tournament, Pac-12.com/tickets. Uh, men's tournament starting up tomorrow. All right, let's uh, let's close out with your Ducks, which I also find a completely fascinating story. Uh, they <laughs> faded a bit here down the stretch. They're 11 and nine in conference, and I'm telling you, one of the things that's crazy now with the net is there's a couple of teams out there with low net rankings, uh, you know, in big conferences, and one of them is Oregon. Uh, if you lose to teams, even once, in Quad 3 and Quad 4, it is freaking debilitating, and Oregon had a couple of bad mm-hmm. losses. They really haven't been able to make up the, the ground. I mean, 74, this is a pretty solid team. And frankly, I mean, do they have to win this tournament to get in? Could a could a run to the final? Yeah. Get it? So yeah. even a run yes, to the yes, final yes, doesn't yes. get the duck to reprieve.
3: Yes, Oregon, I called their game that they lost a double digits at home to Cal, and that's when you said, uh-oh, because they had just come off a wonderful stretch where they were 10-2 and 12, hey, 10 and two in their last 12 games, had these back-to-back wins against top-five teams and USC and UCLA on the road, right? That's when everybody would put on notice about this Oregon team. But then they lose to Cal at home by double-digits, get smashed at Arizona State, and then this last Washington trip was the nail in the coffin for them. They lose by double digits to both the Huskies and the Cougars on the road, and now, as reported today, Will Richardson, their leading scorer and go-to guy, didn't even travel with the team down to Vegas because of a non-COVID illness. So, for me, they're in danger of possibly losing the first-round game to Oregon State, who's lost 17 straight games, just based upon how feisty the Beavers have played lately. So, for Oregon, what team's going to show up? This is a team that's played to the level of their competition all season long. They can go on national TV and be one possession away from upsetting Arizona, but then lose by double digits at home to Cal. And I know that is mystifying for Dana Altman. And it's another example, too, of this transfer portal. It creates a lot of issues, and it takes a while to get teams on the same page. So I would not be surprised if that Oregon-Oregon State game is closer than people anticipate, just based upon the eye test from what I saw from those two teams this weekend up in the state of Washington.
1: Yeah, um, I'll leave it at this. Uh, when you talk about transfer portal, Jacob Young was an interesting get. There's uh, there, That can be a complicated situation, and it, it hasn't worked out for the Ducks. Well, we appreciate a couple minutes, hyping up the tournament, enjoy the uh, rest of the time here in Vegas, and that was a real good spot. Thank you so much. Yeah, anytime. Thanks again, guys. Enjoy the fun, and we'll catch up with you later. There he is, Jordan Kent. Yeah, so Candy, the, the crazy thing. And again, Oregon with... The way they recruit and how attractive they are with the transfer portal should never be in a position in in this year of the Pac-12 to sit at eleven and nine. But you start you start looking back, and I mentioned some of the bad losses. Like the beginning of the season, some of the losses not only were they awful, but it did, like they got slaughtered. 81-49 against BYU. St. Mary's got them by twelve. Houston got them by twenty-nine. And then obviously losing you know, games against some of the bad teams in the Pac-12 doesn't help either. So they amazingly, Oregon has to make a run and win this freaking tournament to get a bid.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, man, this this is not pretty, right? Like, <laughs> this is not pretty overall for a program that is not used to doing this. And I think the craziest part to me, Cofield, is that I'm used to watching Dana Altman's teams get better as the season goes on. I'm watching them in tournaments where I'm like, where was this during conference play, right? When you watched, um, not that Aaron Brooks was any slouch, but when you think about even back to the Aaron Brooks team that took out UNLV, like that was a team that you watched get better as the season went along. So to see them slide the way they have at the end of the year has been the real surprising part for me.
2: Cofield and company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas.